0: Thinking about health care these days, well you're not alone and seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said, he's a doctor, and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your Radio MD.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. I'm coming coming at you on 860 AM, The Answer. And what's our uh, website, 860amtheanswer.com, or is it? am860theanswer.com that's am860theanswer.com and you can reach me anywhere in the world if you are on the web so if you have video and audio card, you don't even need video audio in your computer uh, you can google that website that's our home website page click listen live, put on your headphones and there you go we're also an iHeart station so you can get me anywhere as long as you have your smartphone with you so You can get the app for the iHeart online or at the App Store, or you can get it from our station's website. So we are the answer. This is an interactive radio show. So there is a call-in line, 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. Well, I stick with one theme as a general rule for my show, which uh, makes it easier for me to prepare and also, I think, more interesting for everybody to listen and to join in because we can focus our thoughts on one idea or one topic. I'm really worn out with politics. That doesn't mean that I'm not happy with the way things are going, but I got into it with one of the Muslim doctors in the lunchroom, and he was just railing about how Donald Trump is a fascist and since I'm half Jewish, he's going to lock me up in in some kind of a concentration camp. And he went on and on. And why shouldn't the southern borders be open? Because what's the difference if the Mexicans come in or not? And anybody who disagrees with that is a racist. And on and on and on he went. I was like, oh my God, this is really the mindset of the left. And it's not just liberal Catholics and Jews. It's also fundamentalistic Muslims. So I don't know. I'm getting all confused. So today I'm going to talk about physics. Oh boy, I'm going to talk about the physics of light. Now there's a a really good topic and one that I find so fascinating. I've been fascinated with the speed of light and the idea of the speed of light since I was a child. Since I first heard of Einstein's special theory of relativity which said that the speed of light is constant in a vacuum. and It's a fascinating phenomena. And we think of it as something that we can travel almost as fast as or as fast as and catch up to it. And Einstein, his mathematics, his formulas, his physical investigations into the nature of light showed that no matter where you are in space and time, no matter how fast or how slow you're going or which direction you're going in, light is always moving away from us At a fixed speed, which is 186,000 miles per hour, I mean miles per second, or 300,000 kilometers per second. And that's quite a statement. You say, well, what if I'm moving at 95% the speed of light? Won't light be traveling away from me at 5% of the speed of light? No, it will be traveling away from you at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second no matter which way you're going. But that doesn't make sense because, look, I'm driving down the road at 60 miles an hour, and some guy passes me doing 90. Now, I can figure out very simply that his speed relative to mine is 30 miles per hour on the positive side. And that's what Newton and Galileo showed us, that motion, acceleration, a sense of gravity, whatever you want to call it, is relative to, something else. So we know that we're moving when we see something else and the distance between us changes over a period of time. And Einstein said that doesn't work for light. Light's a whole different thing. Light is fixed in its speed. Now it can be slowed down a little bit when it enters another medium like going from air to water or through glass. And some of that Light can be absorbed or can be reflected back or can be bent. But basically, the speed of light is a constant. It's a constant no matter where you are, no matter how fast or how slow you're going, no matter whether you're going in forward or reverse or side to side. It is a constant speed. That's pretty incredible, and it's pretty counterintuitive. It really, it, it doesn't make any sense unless you sit down and study the mathematics
2: of it. The mathematics of it date back to the middle 19th century when I believe
1: Maxwell was the first to postulate this idea that the speed of light was constant and that it was at a a fixed speed of somewhere around 300,000 kilometers per second. And you say, that's just unbelievable. I mean, how can that be? And Einstein also said that you can't create or destroy light or energy. You can transform it into matter, and you can transform matter back into energy. You say, well, how does that work? Well, you see it every day. You see the sun striking plants outside. We all see that. And a certain wavelength of light hits something in the chlorophyll that stimulates an energetic reaction, and there's a chemical reaction, and basic sugars are made, and the basic sugars are what the... Plant cells, our cells too, for the most part, live off of. That's our gasoline, that's our fuel. And it's also the building blocks for more complex sugars that can then become things like tree bark, roughage in our diet. And so we see the effects of light being transformed or energy being transformed into matter every day. And we use it every day. We use electricity. Where does electricity come from? It comes from the burning of the fuel, coal, gas, oil, or from fission of uranium-235. That gives off heat. All these reactions give off heat, and heat is a wavelength of light, so it is a pure energy. That energy is then transformed back into Thermal energy, because it heats up water and turns it into steam, the steam then blows across a fan, a turbine, that turbine turns inside of a big wire coil, it's a magnet, and that makes electrons flow. So we see matter energy, matter energy transformations at multiple levels for that which we use every day when we turn on a light switch. Electrons are matter. And as matter, they flow through the little filaments in our light bulbs. So when we turn it on, that matter stimulates and turns back into a form of energy that we know as light that we can see. Daylight, whatever you want to call it. You say, well, what else is considered energy? Well, the whole electromagnetic spectrum of light is what we consider as energy.
2: Everything else has potential energy because it's matter and it can be transformed back into energy by burning it or by shooting it against a target or by putting it
1: through a filament and stimulating that filament, striking atoms within that filament to make light waves, and then we use that as as light in our lives. Well, there's also radio waves. We use microwaves in our microwave to heat up food. There's ultraviolet rays, which will give us a suntan or a sunburn. There's infrared rays, which is heat. You can't see it, but you can feel it. There's the visible light spectrum, which we know red, yellow, blue, green, all the colors of the rainbow. And then there's high energy light waves like gamma and X rays. And these are the ones that are given off by. Atomic reactions. Atomic bombs give off not only visible light but also gamma rays. And the X ray machine in my office gives off X rays, which are forms of gamma rays that come from a different part of the atom that we stimulate. We shoot electrons at a certain type of metal plate, and that metal plate gives off gamma rays in the form of X rays. So there's a whole spectrum of of light. And you say, does this light travel at the same speed uh, as light that we see? Yes, it does. Well, how come I can't catch
2: up to light? Well, light is a constant in the universe. Space is not constant
1: and time is not constant. Time for you and time for me is a little different. You say, well, how can that be? Well, Einstein's theories showed that if you're on a train traveling at close to the speed of light, your clock slows way down relative to mine. So if you travel
2: from here to the Andromeda galaxy and back, my clock will have gone five million years, and yours will only gone a few,
1: maybe 80 to 100, 160 years. A few years, relatively
2: speaking. And how can that be? Because of the relativity of time and the
1: relativity of space. Well, is there any way that you can mesh these together to get something that's a little more absolute? Einstein did it. He called it space time. What the heck is space time? Space time is like a mesh, a fabric. In which all things exist, and this mesh and fabric is composed of space and time, crisscrossing back and forth like a woven carpet. Well, then, what's gravity? Einstein said that gravity is the displacement of space time of this fabric by an object, and the heavier the object, the more displacement. How does this work? Well, think of a mesh that you and your buddies or friends stretch tight and in the middle you throw a basketball and you see that the mesh dips down a little bit where the basketball sits. Well, that's the same thing that the sun and the moon and our earth and the planets and the galaxies and all the stars do in this mesh, this web, this fabric of space that's composed of space-time. Well, then what's gravity? Well, gravity is the effect of distorting this mesh, this web, so that if you have that little dip in your blanket or your mesh that you guys are holding, that if you shoot a marble through there close enough to that depression, the marble will curve around it. If it's not going fast enough, it'll be pulled into the basketball that's sitting there in the middle of the mesh. And if it's moving fast enough, it has enough potential energy inside of it that you gave it when you flinged it over there. It'll just curve around that basketball and it'll go to the other side of the mesh. And if there's enough energy, it'll jump off the mesh. Although we cannot escape the universe as far as we know. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's got to be a finite entity. Okay, well, Let me give you an example. Let's say you could make it to the edge of the universe and you took a step outside of the universe. Well, you're part of the universe, so you're taking the universe with you. So the universe is, in a sense, infinite. And this is a big question for physicists. Is the universe infinite or is it finite? And, of course, it depends on, according to the physicists and the astrophysicists, on the shape of the universe. If it's round, shaped like a basketball, then it's finite because you can go from one point and get back to that same point by just traveling in a straight
2: line around the universe, if you have enough time, that is. So, the latest theory is that the universe is flat,
1: relatively. I mean, we know that there are bumps in it, you, me, the sun, the moon, the stars. But it is flat and it's expanding in a plane, a somewhat two-dimensional plane, although there are three-dimensional objects stuck in the plane. And that, in that sense, it's infinite. There is no way for a beam of light to go from one side of the universe to the other side of the universe and come right back to where it was. It would have to be a round universe and the effects of gravity so great that that beam of light would be bent all the way around the universe. It couldn't escape. It could not escape the gravitational field. It would not have enough energy. So the latest theory is that the universe is infinite.
2: And so we're left with the philosophical question of an infinite universe, a wave,
1: an electromagnetic wave called light, that travels at a constant speed and we can never catch it. And all of a sudden we're talking about the infinite. We're talking about God things. So now we have to rethink our whole definition of what is God. Is there an intelligent being that put all of this into motion? And if so, where did he come from or she come from? It's a real conundrum. The physicist and the astrophysicist, oh my gosh, they must have miserable lives because they can never figure it out. And intuitively, it tells them that there has to be a beginning point for everything. And that's most people. And most people cling to religion for that reason because there has to be some beginning point to all things. That stuff gives me a headache. I'm more of a mathematician. When the bottom number gets so large that the top number is meaningless in an equation or in a in a ratio, like if you take one and divide it by uh, An infinite number, that infinite number will go into one at some point approaching near zero. Close enough for me. That's enough of a headache for one day for me. Well, it's interesting to see that Einstein as a kid wanted to know what light would look like if he could travel as fast as light. And what he figured out using equations that were based on Maxwell's equations 50 years earlier, was that you couldn't catch it. And this was so counterintuitive because Galileo and Newton said that motion is relative. How's that so? Okay, you're in the black of space. You can't see any stars or planets or anything. And you're in your little spaceship. And all of a sudden, you look out of
2: your window and you see the light Coming from the window of another spaceship that's approaching you. Okay.
1: But you're moving at a constant speed. You're not speeding up or slowing down. You're not accelerating or decelerating. There's no gravity. So you don't know if you're moving or not. But you see this other spaceship coming at you, and you say, That guy's moving towards me. And the guy or the gal in the other spaceship looks out their window and says, That person and that spaceship is moving towards me. Who's moving towards who? You can't say. That's what Galileo said. That's what Newton proposed. So you can't know whether you're the person that's moving or the other spaceship is moving until you have some point of reference. So let's say you can see the sun and the moon. Well, now you can tell because you can see your motion relative to something that for all practical purposes, is not moving fast enough for you to say it's moving. It's a fixed object. Nothing's absolutely fixed, but for the sake of your own frame of reference and whether or not you're moving, you have to have something else that's fixed that you're moving against or around or above or below. So now the other spaceship is coming. And you can see whether or not you're the one who's stationary and they're moving towards you or they're stationary and you're moving towards them. And that's the relativity theories of Galileo and expounded on by Newton and other scientists. By the way, they put Galileo on trial for a lot of this. The church did pretty cool, huh? They wanted to kill him
2: because he said that the earth was not the center of the universe or the solar system. He said it was the sun. And there had been people, including Ptolemy,
1: way back when the Romans were in power, who had said the earth as the center of the universe. And you can still go to Europe and some of the old cities. They have clocks. They have solar lunar clocks that are based on the earth being the center of the universe. It's pretty cool. And they have the sun and the moon and the, the known planets at that time rotating around the earth it 's all relative though isn't it? I love this stuff. It drives me completely crazy, but I love it. so that was what Galileo said, and then along came Maxwell and our good buddy Albert Einstein. they said that doesn 't work with light that doesn 't work when you approach
2: the speed of light. Everything changes. Everything is different. Einstein said. <clears throat> If you are in a train moving close to the
1: speed of light, and another person is standing on the platform where the train's moving through the station, and two bolts of lightning hit the front and the back of of the train at the same time, from the perspective of the person standing at the station, the person inside the train will perceive them as striking at two different times. Why? Because he's moving towards. The light that has been flashed by the lightning and away
2: from the rear of the train where the other bolt of lightning struck. How can that be? How can that be?
1: It is. It is because you're moving fast enough, and light, although seemingly infinite, has a finite speed. So you can't catch it, and it will be moving away from you if you measure it. But the distance between you and the lightning strike at the front of the train and the rear of the train is different over that period of time. Well, another experiment that Einstein proposed was that if you took a beam of light in the train and you put a a mirror on the ceiling of the car of the train and you shot that light beam up to the mirror and back down and you looked at that light beam and it was perfectly aligned straight up and down, And you're in the train and you look at it, you see it coming back at a certain time, and you see it as a straight line. But now the guy on the platform, he sees something different. He sees the beam of light going up at one point and then coming back down on a slant because the train's moving away from him. And not only is it slanted, but because it's slanted, basically it makes a triangle if you consider the floor of the train. It also takes more time. So his measurement of time travel for that beam of light to the top of the train and back down, as he's standing outside the train and the train is moving close to the speed of light, is different from the guy inside the train who shoots the beam up and back down.
2: Because the length that the light has to travel to him, the guy standing outside of the train, is different. Pretty cool. Well, what the heck is light? Maxwell said light is a wave,
1: actually two waves. It's an electric and a magnetic wave. And that's how we get the electromagnetic wave. And the whole idea of the electromagnetic wave is that it's two different waves traveling at 90 degrees orientation from each other. What's 90 degrees? Well, if you put your arm on your desk or your table, straight up and down, that angle between the table or the desk and your arm, you bend your elbow, and your arm's straight up, straight down, that's, that's 90 degrees. And so these light waves are composed actually of two waves, electric and magnetic. Well, if there's nothing in space, then they must, if space is empty, which Einstein said, no, it's not, then they must be individual packets that move through space. Well, Maxwell and Einstein said no, although it has some of the characteristics of a particle, a little piece of dust, it also has wave characteristics, and that the light itself doesn't move. It's the energy propagation through space-time that makes the light that we see, or the radio signals that allow us to hear each other, or the gamma rays that we use to heat up water and turn it into steam
2: and drive nuclear reactors. So that is a fundamental shift in our understanding of what space and time are because something moves through it but there's no actual motion. Well how can that be?
1: Well think of it like a wave coming at you in the ocean. Now Most of us have been on cruises or we've been far enough out that we know that a wave will travel right under our boat and keep going. But does it keep going? Is it really the water that's moving? The boat goes up and down. Does it slow the boat down? Only if it's big enough to have a a friction effect on the boat. But the water itself does not move in the horizontal plane. It does not move relative to the horizon. It goes up, vertical, and back down. What's moving? It's the energy force that's moving through the water, and that's what's moving. It's not the water itself that's moving from Cuba
2: to the Keys of Florida. It's the energy wave. And you say, well, look, I can stand on the beach, and I can see
1: that that wave coming in crashes and displaces water and pushes it up the beach and then goes back out. Yes, if there's no further medium for it to propagate in, there's no more water that hits an interface it hits a sandy or a rocky beach, then that's going to be transformed into some kind of mechanical energy. And that mechanical energy is going to push that water up And when the energy abates and goes away, the water is going to flow back out. But if you're in the middle of the ocean where it's deep, that's not what happens.
2: Because you're not at the end of the line. You're not at the interface. What implication does this have for us?
1: Well, if there's an underground volcanic eruption or earthquake, this can create a tsunami. The tsunami can travel thousands of miles and barely be noticed as it moves through massive amounts of water, displacing it a very little bit up and down. But when it gets to a shore, when it gets to an interface, all of that potential energy is turned into mechanical energy, and it pushes all that water up onto the shore. And then we see the disasters like we saw uh, years ago, where 250,000 people were killed, and one of the
2: islands in the South Pacific. You say, well, what the heck does this have to do with me? What do I care
1: what the speed of light is? For all practical purposes, in my life, it doesn't really matter. When I talk to you or when I look at you, when we interact, the differences in time between When the light reaches me and when it reaches you are so infinitesimally small that for all practical purposes, if you and I are sitting across the room from each other and someone walks in, we perceive them at the same
2: time. When does this become important? You're traveling down the highway with your GPS on. How does that work? Our governments put up satellites
1: into space all around the earth. And those satellites give off a radio beam that is perceived, received by your GPS. And by getting two or three beams coming down from different points in space, there are equations that can be used, mathematical functions, to triangulate our position in space and time. There's a problem, though. These satellites are far enough apart that if we don't do something about the two or three nanoseconds difference between them, the time it takes for the radio wave to travel from one satellite to another. If we don't correct for that, then our GPS won't work because the signals won't be synchronized. They won't be coming down in the same time frame, in the same reference as where we are and what we want to do and where we want to go using our GPS. So we have to synchronize the satellites and we have to tell one satellite that the other one's signal coming to them is X plus two or three nanoseconds, whatever time it takes for the signal to travel from one to another. And it's very important. It's important for navigation. It's important for travel. It's important for space
2: travel. It's important to measure time. How do we measure time? long time ago, we did it by day-night, dividing it up into certain periods,
1: hours, minutes, seconds. Now we do it with a beam of light. A beam of light goes up and down and up and down a column. We know the speed of light because it's a vacuum. And we can put in a nanosecond or two for the amount of time it takes to register that
2: on the plate as it goes back and forth. And we can get time measurements to picoseconds, to very, very small margins of error.
1: And this is very important when we're doing experiments, when we're looking
2: through a telescope, when we're traveling down the highway using our GPS. What the heck is a nanosecond? That's one billionth of a second. Well, how far does light travel in a
1: billionth of a second? You got a computer? Take a look at it. Open it up. Look at the motherboard. The motherboard in that is no bigger than 12 inches and smaller in laptops and other computers. Why? Why? Why did we make the computers to be 12 inches from one side of the motherboard to the other? Why did we want to get it down that small? Because we want a nano computer. The electrons that are what are moving around inside of our computer motherboard are traveling at close to the speed of light. Since they're particulate, they have weight, and we can measure that weight. It can't go at the speed of light, but it can get real close. And so the smaller our computer, the faster it becomes because the quicker. The electrons can flow from one side to the other of the computer. can go from the memory chips to the processing chips back to the hard drive. And you say, well, how come my computer isn't any faster? Well, the interfaces are what slow it down.
2: The hard disk drive, because that's mechanical. Your keyboard, because that's mechanical. Now, if your fingers could
1: move close to the speed of light, you wouldn't notice it. but you do notice that when you type, it takes a measurable, a discernible amount of time for that keystroke to appear on your computer keyboard, on your computer screen rather not your keyboard. You hit your keyboard, comes up in your Word document on the screen, and you can see that there's a little bit of drag there, but the movement of the electrons from one side of that 12-inch motherboard to the other is going to be fixed at close to the speed of light, and
2: the resistance of the medium, the copper wire or the gold or whatever metal it is it's moving through. So we do use these concepts, these equations, the speed of light
1: phenomena. We use it every day, everything we do, everything we touch, including this broadcast. If it was not for our knowledge of the speed of light, our understanding of its speed, its velocity, its change in distance over time and of space-time, we wouldn't be able to digitalize this, send it from one computer to another over the Internet, send it to the broadcasting tower where it's turned into another form of energy, into an electromagnetic wave, a radio wave, And then that's beamed out to people driving around in their cars. Or we can keep it as a flow of electrons in an internet cable. Or if you're really high tech, fiber optics, and that's light. And that light is moving through that glass, those glass fibers in the fiber optic cable at the speed of light. The speed of light in the medium of glass, which is minusculely
2: smaller Little slower, very minimal as compared to a vacuum. But it's moving fast, guys. It's moving at the speed of light. And that brings us to a realization that we are
1: integrally tied to these equations that Maxwell and Einstein have worked out. Well, I'm going to grab a cup of Joe and I'll be back in a few minutes. And we're talking about light today. Pretty cool topic. Is light God? Is God light? If light can carry all knowledge, if it cannot be destroyed, it can be transformed into matter and back into energy. If it's eternal, if it's always in the present, we can never catch it. We can send any kind of knowledge over it. Is it God? Is it God? I'll be right back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD.
3: Lord, have mercy on me. As that squirrel made laps inside her dress, she began to cry and then to confess her sins and make a sailor blush with shame. She told of gossip and church dissension, but the thing that got the most attention was when she talked about her love life. And then she started naming names the day the squirrel went desert in the first self-righteous church in that sleepy little town of Pascoagula.
4: With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. A National Transportation Safety Board team will be in South Texas today to add their expertise to the investigation of a charter bus crash. It was headed to a casino yesterday morning when it rolled over on a highway north of Laredo, killing eight and injuring 44. Police say the manhunt is over for two men accused of luring a woman and her four teenage daughters to a Utah house, then tying them up in the basement, Two men gave in in Wyoming the other day. A news agency affiliated with ISIS says the extremists are responsible for a coordinated dawn assault today on a natural gas plant north of Baghdad that killed at least 12. And House Speaker Paul Ryan says achieving Republican Party unity behind Donald Trump is, quote, a process, and he says he will not put any kind of a timeline on that process of bringing the party together. This is SRN News.
1: Dr. Bill for CanCare Clinic for Canadians and Visitors located at 6399 38th Avenue North St. Pete, one block from 66th Street North. We accept travel insurance. Full service clinic with X-ray, lab, cubidin check, minor surgery, ultrasound, echo, nuclear scanning and in-house pharmacy. 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. That's 727-384 Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology, our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and... Competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795.
5: Let me ask you, could you use a little extra money? Well, of course you could. Everybody could use that extra revenue to pay the bills, pay down debt, or save for retirement. With philsgang.com, we help you make that extra income in the stock market. For over 15 years, Phil Grandy and philsgang.com helps folks who are interested in learning short-term and long-term investing by providing professional-level charting skills and strategies. philsgang.com is your number one source to learn, invest, and profit in the stock market. And you can do this for only $49.95 a month. With PhilzGang.com, you learn how to invest in the market. You get daily investment coaching guidance, and you will learn to invest and trade with the skills and confidence of the pros. Just log on and get daily investment instructions and make profits. Plus, all PhilSGang.com material is archived for your convenience. Go to PhilSGang.com to join or call 877-600-GANG. That's 877-600-4264. Call today. Here's some exciting news from Shoot Straight. You can now buy firearms online. That's right, just visit shoot-straight.com. And you can choose from a wide selection of firearms, perfect for your needs. Of course, their two locations on U.S. 301 south of MLK in Tampa and Almerton Road just east of 49th Street in Clearwater are always happy to supply all of your needs as well. And they feature air-conditioned indoor shooting ranges and a wide selection of all your firearms and accessories. Visit shoot-straight.com. That's shoot-straight.com.
4: Mostly sunny today, high 89, then partly cloudy this evening with a low 71. Tomorrow will be partly sunny with a high of 90. Then on Tuesday, look for a mix of sun and clouds with a shower thunderstorm around later in the day and a high of 89. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Holly Holdren for AM 860 The Answer.
3: Well, when I was a kid, I'd take a trip every summer down to Mississippi, visit my granny and her Bellum. work. I'd run barefooted all day long, climbing trees free as song. One day, I happened to catch myself a squirrel. Well, I stuffed him down in an old shoebox and punched a couple holes in the top. When Sunday came, I snuck him into church. I was sitting way back in the very last pew showing him to my good buddy Hugh. When that squirrel got loose, went totally berserk. What happened next is hard to tell. Some thought it was heaven, thought it was hell, but the fact that something was among us was plain to see. As the choir sang, I surrender all. The squirrel ran up hard. Newland's coveralls. And hard leaped to his feet. Said, "Something's got a hold on me!" Yeah! The day the squirrel went berserk. In the first self-righteous church in that sleepy little town of Pascagoula. It was a fight for survival that broke out in revival. They were jumping the fuse and shouting, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Harve hit the aisle dancing and screaming. Some thought he had religion, others thought he had a demon. And Harv thought he had a weed eater loose and he screwed the moon. <laughs> He fell to his knees to plead and beg and that squirrel ran out of his richest leg unobserved to the other side of the room. All the way down to the Amen pew where sat Sister Bertha Better Than You who'd been watching all the commotion with sadistic glee. Should have seen that look in her eyes when that squirrel jumped her garters and crossed her thighs and she jumped to her feet and said, Lord have mercy on me. As that squirrel made laps inside her dress, she began to cry and then to confess the sins and make a sailor blush with shame. She told the gossip and church dissension, but the thing that got the most attentions was when she talked about her love life, and then she started naming names The day the scroll went desert, in the first self-righteous church In that sleepy little town of Pascagoula It was a fight for survival, that broke out in revival They were jumping the pews and shouting, hallelujah seven deacons and the pastor got saved and $25,000 was raised and 50 volunteered for missions in the Congo on the spot. <laughs> and even without an invitation, there were at least 500 rededications and we all got rebaptized whether we needed it or not. Now you've heard the Bible story, I guess, how he parted the waters for Moses to pass. All oh, the miracles God has wrought in this one I'll remember till my dying day Is how he put that church back on the narrow way With a half-crazy Mississippi squirrel. The day the squirrel went berserk In the First Self-Rights Church In that sleepy little town of Pat's love It was a fight for survival That broke out in revival They were jumping fuse and shouting hey,
1: And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill. That was Ray Stevens and the Mississippi Squirrel Revival song. I love that song. I love Ray Stevens. He had such a wonderful sense of humor as well as a good voice and a decent musical mind. A lot of fun. So the perception of God or the perception of being possessed of a spirit can be Not what it seems, as in the case of the Mississippi Squirrel, who jumped up everybody's clothes in the middle of church and caused great commotion and a lot of emotional outbursts, including confessions and hallelujahs and so on and so forth. So it is a very relative world, is it not? Fascinating. By the way, we're talking about light today. And my question, anybody who wants to call in, is, is God light? Is light God? And we are at 877 969-8600-877-969-860. Nine six nine eight six zero zero eight seven seven nine six nine eighty six hundred. My question again today is: What do you think? Can light be God? Can God be light? Can they be intertwined in some way? Is there an intelligence in light? I don't know. Those are two big of questions for my small mind. Well, what is a wave anyway? A lot of people are asking me. Well, you know, what's a wave? A wave is what you see in the water. It's that rise and then that fall back down, and and if you take your finger and you draw it, it's what we call a sine wave. And the wave is the measurement from the beginning of the uprise to the end of the dip that comes back to the horizon. So it's two humps in opposite directions stretched out over a period of time. That's a wave. And we measure waves in frequencies or the number of those units that is one wave over a period of time. And you say, oh, that's what a frequency is. Yeah, that's what a frequency is. It works with water. It works with sound. It works with light. It works with any wave phenomena. That's what we define as a wave. You say, okay, I got the idea of a frequency. How does that affect my ears if I'm listening to you? Well, the lower the frequency, the deeper my voice will sound. And the higher the frequency, the higher my voice will sound. So this is a higher frequency than this is. Okay, you got that? Well, how do you turn the volume up? What's that? Well, that's the amplitude. Well, what do you mean by that? Now, that's how high the wave goes up or the wave dips down. It doesn't change the time it takes for one wave to pass by me because that is a fixed length, but the height of the wave defines the amplitude the amplitude is the amount of power that has or potential power you say oh yeah so if you see a 25 or 30 foot wave coming at you on the beach that's a lot of power coming at you you better pick up your picnic basket and your towels and your beach umbrella and run like hell because that's going to wipe you right off the beach but now a two-foot wave You're not worried about that because, you know, it doesn't have that much power. It's not going to come that far up the beach. And if it does, it's just going to lap at your toes. So that's what amplitude is. That works for all waves. That works for light. It works for sound. It works for water. It works for any medium in which a wave can go through. What's the medium that sound waves go through? They go through the air, the atmosphere, nitrogen, oxygen, and all the trace gases and dust and water molecules that are hanging around in the atmosphere. And that's how it's propagated.
2: You say, well, how can you transform a wave, a light wave, into something that's mechanical, that you can
1: feel or hear or see? We can take that electrical stimulus, and we can strike a diaphragm with it and make that diaphragm vibrate, and as said diaphragm vibrates it makes noise and because the frequency and the strength of the electric signal is changing the amount that that diaphragm expands and contracts moves up and down will determine the frequency of the sound you hear and that's how we do it.
2: How do we transfer the energy of Radiation into electricity, we do
1: it by taking that radiation and heating up water, turning it into steam, and the steam drives a turbine. The turbine turns a magnet. The magnet is inside a huge coil of copper, and as the magnet turns, it makes electrons move out of the copper and into the electric circuits, into the power lines, and into our house. That's how we do it. That's what a wave is. That's what amplitude and frequency are. Amplitude is the power or the height of the wave, and the frequency is the length from the beginning of the peak to the end of the trough of the wave. And it looks just like you see when you see a big wave of water coming, and you see that big curve upward and then the big dip downward, and that's that's one wave. So... You count the number of those waves that come by you over a period of time, and that's the frequency. So now you know what we mean by the frequency of AM 860 or FM 920. Now you know. Those numbers are the lengths of the waves, the electrical, the electromechanical waves, the specialized light that we use, that we call radio waves. That's their length. That's the distance from the beginning to the end of one wave. And those are in nanometers for the most part, as I recall. I think I'm right about that, Chris, aren't I? I think a nanometer is what we're using when we measure radio waves. And so we know the size of these things because we have the instruments now that we can measure it with. You say, well, how the heck could you measure the speed of light Well, we know that speed or velocity is time over distance. It's the distance you go over a period of time. Well, when the guys went up to the moon, the moon
2: shot, they put a little mirror on the moon, lined it up, and scientists on Earth took a laser, and
1: they shot a laser beam at that mirror and measured the amount of time it took to shoot the beam up there and for the beam to come back and they measured the time, and they got a distance, and they could measure the speed of the
2: light traveling over that distance because they knew the time. And as our computers and our technology has gotten better, we've been able to
1: measure it more and more precisely, and we now know that in a vacuum, light moves at 299,792,458 meters per second. So that's about 300,000 kilometers per second, which is
2: six-tenths of a mile. That's 186,000 miles per second. That's clipping right along, dude. Well, how far does a beam of light or a light wave travel
1: in one nanosecond? One billionth of a second, about a foot. And that goes back to why we make our computers, our motherboards, a foot or less in size so that we can get the energy, the electrons, across the motherboard as quickly as possible. That's what a nanocomputer is. Well, I don't have a nanocomputer. You got a smartphone? You got a nanocomputer. Because that's less than a foot in length or width. And the motherboard in there is smaller, and so that light and that energy and those electrons can get back and forth in well under a
2: nanosecond. And that's a nanocomputer. In 3.3 nanoseconds, light will travel
1: about 39 inches, which is a little more than a yard, about a meter. 3.3
2: nanoseconds, one meter. What about... From the sun to the earth, how long does it take light to travel? 8.3 minutes, one way. What is one light year? One light year is the distance light travels. In one year. It's an incredibly large number. Unbelievable, unbelievably large. And how large does our Milky Way, our galaxy?
1: It's 100,000 light years across. Whoa, Nelly. Well, nobody called with my God theory. And this is what I think. I think that within light, there exist natural laws. And I think that the natural laws define the intelligence of the universe. And for me, that's a, a form of a God. Has light always been here? If you believe Einstein, light has always been here. Well, if we consider an infinite being as being divine or a divine being as being infinite,
2: then you've got to look at light. Is light everywhere? Yeah, it's everywhere. It defines what we see. So if it's everywhere, it's omnipresent, Isn't that what we call God? And it's omnipotent because it can be changed from one thing into another. We can make a nuclear bomb.
1: We can turn that nuclear energy back into physical, mechanical, and electrical energy, heat. It's pretty much what I was taught God was when I was a kid in the Catholic catechism. Does that mean that there's not an entity outside of the universe that has set all this in motion? I don't know the answer to that. I think that's a leap of faith that you have to take. You can't prove or disprove that. But I think in a scientific sense, we can say that light is God. That doesn't mean that there isn't a being that's more powerful and has set all of this in motion. It just means that in the scientific and physical universe, for me, this is what I see and this is how I interpret it. But I just love light. I love the whole theory of it, have since I was a kid. I tell you that Einstein, he was something else, wasn't he? He and Maxwell, ooh, we did they change the way we look at everything? They shook us up, baby. They shook us all up. Just like that in the Mississippi Baptist Church Revival. Oh, boy. So we get a little something running around in our shorts and up our skirt and through our... And we end up with a whole new theory of the way the world works. Love it. Well, Chris, I want to thank you. Bill, we're we're training Bill today, so we might hear from him. Thank everybody out there. Good to be with you guys again this Sunday. I'll get back on something more interesting. See you next week. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Jeffrey Burchard here at your service. You know what time it is?
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.